if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, he's giving us an alternative. There's an alternative to being stuck in the middle of all of our thoughts, to dwell on those things, whatever is true. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit, because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology, or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all cause mortality by up to 30%. So I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Good morning, Marty. Good afternoon, Matt. It's 2.07 on my clock. Oh, shoot. I don't even know what time it is. It's been it's a busy day. It's morning somewhere. It's morning somewhere. Thanks for the grace. Yeah, yeah. point that out. That's good. So you had a topic. I did. I had a topic for a change. And the topic is this. It's mindfulness. Now, why mindfulness? Mindfulness, because I think so many people are allowing themselves to run away with ideas, with concerns, with stress, with bad relationships. And mindfulness, I believe, is a way that we could help give tools to ourselves, let alone other people, of how to do a better job of quieting our brain, slowing down our thoughts, focusing on things that really matter. Good. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about this too, because in some Christian communities, it's associated with, you know, pagan practices or esoteric mystical religions. How would you answer someone who said, I'd like to do that? Sounds good, but that's, you know, mysticism or something. Yeah. What I would say is that this is an actually an ancient practice within Christianity and even Judaism before that. And the idea is a way of looking at it is practicing the presence of Christ. If we as Christ followers have Christ with us in us, it's not like he leaves us. We practice the presence of Christ all the time. All the time he is with us. And mindfulness, I heard a great definition by Dr. Henry Cloud, who talked about mindfulness as paying attention to something, to be mindful, not to be mindless. And yet when we're scrolling on our phones, when we're going through our days, sometimes we're mindless. But when we're mindful, it means being present with our minds, being fully present, being aware of everything that's going on inside of you. And so basically it's like awareness, it's acceptance versus rejection of what's going on inside of us. 
being mindful means being without judgment, allowing whatever's going on inside us to be there without grabbing it or joining it or engaging in it or thinking about it or working it out or problem solving. But it's more of allowing ourselves to come alongside it, to understand what really is going on before we run away from it or grab onto it or try to do something with it. And in a way, that's what Christ in our lives opens up for us. He is coming alongside us. He does not, quote unquote, control us, but we're commanded. Paul talks about it in the New Testament to take every thought captive to Christ. And so, in other words, we exist apart from our thoughts and in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is Christ with us and in us, we have this amazing ability not to act on every belief or every impulse or every frustration or every fear that is going on inside us. And by us practicing mindfulness, and I think talking about it like this, it can give us alternatives to just being incredibly led by our emotions. And that to me is, I think, one of the wild things that's happening in our day. And it's not new, but it sure seems to be on steroids these days. Oh, for sure. So that, that's a pretty good rundown of the benefits. I made a little list too. What do you come up with? Well, I've talked about this before because that was the prayer I asked you, like, is this praying? And, it's, and it was mindfulness, like just being present and um, being in the spirit, you know, without thoughts racing into the future or the past or without judgment. So, so the list I made is, first of all, fewer ups and downs in your life, right? So because we're not having the, neg we have a negativity bias. It kept us safe, right? So we're looking for what's wrong, sort of almost naturally, especially new situations, right? Is this good or is this bad? But we are biased towards the negative. So mindfulness can really help us to be in that space without judgment. And, and without judgment, then I'm not thinking in terms of bad or good. It's an acceptance thing. It helps us to rule out threats quickly. Because if, if you think about it, Matt, there aren't any, usually, almost never any real threats in the moment, Sometimes there are, you got to, you know, hit your brakes or something like that, but th that comes quickly and, and ends quickly. The adrenaline goes and you can calm back down. You know, for any of us listening to our conversation, like I look around and everything's really pretty fine. There's nobody running at me with a knife or a baseball bat to hit me with it in this moment. Right. And probably everybody who's ever going to listen to this will not be in that kind of a situation. And if you look around, everything's pretty much okay. It's generally good. Exactly. But what someone will say is, you don't see what's going on in, and you pick a city or something like that. And and the response is this, you don't either. Okay. You don't even know either. Uh, you, you think that's what's going on, but if it did happen, it's not happening right now. It's past. So where did it come from then? If I can't see it, smell it, taste it, what are the other senses? Hear it, touch it, right. Then I can't do anything about it. But we get caught up in our minds because we're not in the present moment. And we start thinking these thoughts and then we don't rule them out quickly. So really the trick to mindfulness is disqualifying threats. Disqualifying threats. Wow. Right. Because we're threat sensitive and, and, and the media really causes us to be threat sensitive because if you don't have any problems that you can use your five senses to determine, then start working on somebody else's and you can start worrying about them and it won't even be anyone else's. It will be what someone is telling you. And there'll be a little kernel of truth, maybe, but there's certainly nothing you can do about it. So if you want to trouble yourself with the world, you'll be anxious all the time. And if you're watching media, we already know this. This isn't just my opinion. If you're watching a lot of media, that's what it's designed to do 
those tactics were taken from marketing, you know, and advertising because you ever see the old commercials like in the 1950s where, you know, it's black and white and the guy comes out in a suit, looks like, you know, and so he's really bland and he checks down on a product. He goes, uh, organic tea sweetened with real black tea. And he starts, you know, checking down on features. We don't do that anymore because what they learned through, you know, propaganda, propaganda until the Nazis wasn't a pejorative term. It, it was, it was used like synonymous with marketing right. or advertising, right? What they learned was this, that doesn't do much. Reason doesn't work here. Emotion works. So let's get somebody like really excited about something. And that could be excited with anger or fear or desire for something, a lifestyle, but it's going to be an emotional thing. Can I just say what you're talking about, that we are pre-wired toward negativity? How did you say that? I don't remember. We are wired toward the negative. And I have two specific examples of that. You know, sometimes when you have to stand up in front of people and give a sermon every week and it's the same crowd, so they know you, you can get a hundred compliments about something and you can get one negative comment. Mm. Which one do you remember? The negative one, of course. Right. 99 people were moved and affected and helped by something that you offered them. And not just in a speaking engagement, but in anything in life. And yet one negative thing that says you suck, the one thing you remember is you suck. Right. But it's not that you suck because I would just be sad that somebody didn't like a sermon. Right. But it's what follows. Maybe Hypothetically I do suck. Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe I do suck. And what is this going to mean for my future? So most of these things or you could go into time travel into the past and go, oh, did I always suck? I thought I was good. Maybe I'm not good. Now I got an imaginary problem to deal with that I feel like I have to do something about, right? Right. So that's one example of how we are so pre-wired toward the negative. The other example that, All of us. that I saw, I got to go to the Global Methodist Gathering in 2016 in Portland, Oregon. And there were 2,000 people there. And it was like the United Nations, 16 different language translating stations going on at the same time. It was a sight to behold. To me, it was a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. You know, a third of the people are from the continent of Africa and others from the Philippines and from East Asia and from Europe and North America and South America. It was incredible. But probably half the media coverage or more was about a group of 20 people who were chanting and yelling in the corner. And the bulk of us couldn't even hear what was going on, but that was where the media coverage was. So mm. all my friends back in Michigan, while I'm out in Portland for these two weeks, were like, wow, it must have been really dramatic. I saw those people. And I'm like, I barely saw them. But that's where the media went. Yeah. And then the other habit that we have is in order to contain all this information that's going around because there's too much to take in, we overgeneralize. So now people are seeing those images and then they're overgeneralizing them to say, oh, that's all in their mind. That's all or most. This is a giant problem. They're all kind of doing that. So, yeah, there's it, there it is was that. fascinating to see the coverage. And it made me step back and take a second look at all the coverage that I see online or in the news or in whatever source of what is really going on. And news by its very nature means it's not normal. So if you have a steady diet of news, that means you have a steady diet of this small percentage of interesting, crazy, negative happenings that are minuscule compared to the stuff that's 
normal, like millions of people going to work every day and supply, supplying help for other people and taking care of their families or doing what they can to do well and make the world a good place. Well said. What the media is doing is playing on our negativity bias is probably what you're looking for, right? That those are going to affect us. And that, so that's why everything's an existential threat. And if you go back and watch the news cycles, you'll see, here's the new existential threat. Okay, second, right? And it never happens. So then they get onto something else. I mean, it's almost hard to talk about it in America, at least right now, because if I say anything that doesn't go along with one side or the other, that's a loyalty test. And, and I'll have failed a loyalty test. So if I say that I don't like media right now, what they're doing and that it's changed and try to educate someone, that's a loyalty test for, for either side, right? Especially one side in particular that really trades on, on this. Yeah. And I think it totally ties in with what we're talking about, mindfulness that helps us see our thoughts and a good way to realize our thoughts are sort of like a stream or a river and they are rushing along all day long. We have a rush of thoughts all day long and some are negative and some are positive, some are distracting, some are also productive. And by us being mindful, able to see our thoughts and not be caught up in the middle of them or the emotions that come with them, it can help us separate ourselves from the anxiety or the negativity that tends to rise up, especially if things are chaotic. I, I agree. So what we're talking about really indirectly is anxiety. Mindfulness is a good remedy for anxiety because it will put us in the present where the life is. The life's in the present. The people that I know, patients and friends that are really caught up into fear and the media have a few things in common. One is they want to be a part of a community or, or have some important work and they don't have any. So this is a proxy for important work. And it really feels to them like, and it's on both sides. I'm, I'm being honest about that. It's really on, on both sides, not many, but the ones that let it get inside of them are, uh, are basically because it's so emotional, it feels like they're doing something important. And if you can't feel that emotion with them, then you're just uncaring. Now you have lots of important work to do outside of the television screen, right? Or the, you know, computer yeah, screen, but that right. won't matter because emotions are so compelling that they really feel like this is an existential threat. Now, if that's happening to you and you're listening to this, just know you're being manipulated because all of that information could be delivered to you in a different way that doesn't cause you to feel like the sky is falling. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? There's the children's story of Chicken Little and it's all about this. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, it's about that, that, that like he got chicken little gets everybody worked up and then finally they get sick of being worked up. Mm -hmm. And I think if that's you, if that's me, which it has been at moments in the last month, for me to be able to step outside of being swept up in this river or this stream of thoughts of mine and come alongside my thoughts, I, I realize I'm okay. Yeah, that's a hundred. The other thing that it helps to do is th mindfulness is it really helps relationships because right now, if you and I have a disagreement on something that's politically charged, right? You're, you know, you're pro this or that. And I stay in the present moment. I'll realize something. You're, you're not hurting me by disagreeing with me, right? If I just with, without judgment and I don't rush forward, I don't attach what you said to any other concepts or abstractions, then we can keep in relationship and I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Review those three things that you just said that mindfulness helps with, and then let's get into some more specifics and some scripture. 
Yep. Fewer ups and downs. You know, you're not having the high, high and low lows. And to me, that's a peaceful existence. If I don't have the high highs and low lows, that's a good thing. Helps us to rule out real threats or, or disqualify threats that aren't real mm-hmm. quickly. And, 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 and you're safe to do this because there aren't that many threats, real threats. Okay. I saw the best meme and it was a picture of Batgirl in quicksand and Gilligan's Island people in quicksand and Wesley mm. from Princess Pride. And this is so growing up in the seventies, I was terrified of quicksand. And it said, yeah, oh yeah. It said growing up, I thought quicksand would be a much bigger deal than it actually is. Yeah, <laughs> That's not the big threat on film anymore. I saw that too. That was good. It helps relationships, the other one. And then I'd add a, a, another one, which is really nice. This is a, a big bonus. You will become less narcissistic and self-centered. Okay. Because emotions are compelling, we think that they're true. So if I'm really scared of something, you're going to have a hard time talking me down from that. But you don't understand. You don't understand. I might even get angry because anxiety is a lot like anger, right? Because both of those threat emotions, right? So I'm either going to like, you know, come after you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the list that, that I have. That is potent. Yeah, so I was looking into, is there anything scriptural that leads us to think that this is okay, right? Because I do want to alleviate some fears. Just because other cultures, you know, stumbled upon this or developed it doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. Mm -hmm. All truth is God's truth. That's right. Yeah. So, 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 so it doesn't disqualify if another culture did that. Other cultures did other things too that pleased God. So have you found much scripturally? Yes, there is so much, but I'm only going to list a couple here because okay, let's hear. there's so much. So jot these down. First of all, Psalm 46, and this is probably the most famous one when it comes to mindfulness. When the psalmist is writing in verse 10, I'll read the familiar verse, but then I want to couch it with what's going on. Be still and know that I am God. That's it. Be still and know that I am God. And, and, and what it suggests too, that you're safe. Okay. So it's safe to, cause most people who I have to get to stop worrying cause it's into their sleep and relationships and things like that. And, 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 and takes joy from them. The reason that they don't do that is because they're sure that there's a real threat out there. And if they were to put their hands down, they would get sucker punched by life. Right. So that verse is, is going into that. Like, and if you really do the test right now, it's real quick to do. Have you survived everything? I've survived even my worst day. That's right. And oftentimes, like we've talked about, it turned out to be a really good thing, because, but you took the judgment you know, to it and made it a bad thing. So the non-judgment sort of thing is a key to mindfulness, I think. That's a key to mindfulness. Oh, that, yeah. That, that you don't judge things good and bad. And in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. He had a list of things we need to go over. Uh, For I have learned to be content whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's an amazing thing because he took the judgment out of it, right? Yeah. Even the times when he was in need or in want. That's right he's able to sidestep it and look at it like this river flowing by and realize in need and in want and in plenty, I'm okay. Right. So let's remember that. Let's, let's not judge. And, and also if you, if you think about, it, I know the emotions are in play, so it's not like anyone 
you know, is trying to do this, it, it sort of happens naturally, but we, we need to, to correct it, is that you don't know if something's good or bad. If you're quiet, you might be able to discover it. And this is especially true of political opinions. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't make a snap judgment. Be still and listen. And you'll and, and what happens is people tend to like each other when they listen and talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have confidence in that. Oh, there's so much there. Keep going. What's the next one? Here's another one. And it's from Philippians 4.8. And he's talking about everything going on. And Philippians 4.8, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, he's giving us an alternative. There's an alternative to being stuck in the middle of all of our thoughts, to dwell on those things, whatever is true. Okay, that's good. So focus, because attention is a big part of, of this, right? And attention involves focus and selectivity. So when we say that attention is selective, that means that you can choose internally and externally what you're going to focus on right? You, you can look uh, behind you. You can start thinking of a fantasy. You can produce a fantasy if you want. But we're told to focus attention on God and the experience he's given you. That's non-attachment. And, and all over, we're told not to be attached to the world, right? Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I love that language because I think that Christianity is showing us the pattern of reality, Jonathan Pagiot, the woodcarver, talks about this uh, icon carver, and, and you know he's a pretty scholarly guy. Talks about that, that. That's what it is. That's a great way to explain it. Now you'll have some wisdom if you recognize the patterns, because you'll know what to do when it's not really clear. So he says, "Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Didn't you read that last week? That's it. I think you did. Yeah, in the podcast. It's worth repeating. Right. Do not think of yourself because remember that anxiety is a very self-conscious emotion, very has the ego involved. I know this is a threat. Don't tell me any different. I can feel it. Right. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with so sober judgment. Okay. Right. There's Psalm 23 that talks about the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, the one who comes alongside me and leads me from in front and from behind. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. When stick God on that for a second. St- stick on that because that's 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 the mindful s- state of I accept. I accept this. Right. No judgment on that. No attachment to it. Yeah. I shall not want. Yeah. I shall not be in want. It also can be translated. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So it's not about us. It's about God's namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the shepherd's rod, like the shepherd's crook, we think about, sometimes it's tough and we need that. But even the rod and the staff will comfort me. And then he says I think this. the rod was for the wolves, though, wasn't it, mostly? Well, it could be for defense. Yeah, but it could be for the dumb sheep a little bit. And steer a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> they probably wouldn't feel it anyway unless they've been shorn. But listen to this next line. This never hit me before like it, it did about eight years ago. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Me too. In other words, my enemies are still there, yet God is making this spread for me. 
in the presence of my enemies. They're not all gone. And I like the imagery too, because like what we're talking about is sympathetic, parasympathetic activation, right? So sympathetic is the alarms going off. Parasympathetic is afterwards. So like after a workout, parasympathetic's there, you feel calm and all that. Now, in order to eat, that's a parasympathetic activation, nervous system activation. So he's saying like, even with all this chaos and people who don't like what I say or what I do, I'm calm enough to have a banquet, right? To, 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 to die. I'm on, I'm still, right? And it's focusing on this banquet, not on the fact that it's in the presence of my enemy, you know, like that doesn't matter anymore. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, I recite that every morning as part of my prayers, but I meditate on it too. And it also segues into the next aspect, which is really, these are techniques too. So you can take these away and, and use them. But gratitude, that's a real gratitude prayer too, isn't it? Now, gratitude, what does that have to do with mindfulness? Everything, I think. Because the opposite of that threat sensitivity is gratitude. Because if you think about, because with gratitude, I'm taking my attention and I'm not focusing on what's wrong. Even in 500 miles away in Washington, D.C. from where we're sitting, I don't worry about that. I look for what's right. I take my attention and look for what's right, and then I thank the giver. So Paul says, pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Have your eyes open in looking for what's right. And sorry, I don't know what your pet you know, causes or whatever, but most things are right. Right. And we have a habit of solving really important problems when, when, when they get our attention. It's amazing when we practice mindfulness, when we see what is really going on. I know that's been some of the training in terms of counseling. Sometimes it will be at the end of a session where somebody, almost like it's before they get up, will say, and there's one more thing. And the one more thing, if you're being mindful, is the thing that they are struggling with. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. Oh, it's always, not always, but it's the last five minutes. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, I think by practicing mindfulness, you can get to that quicker. That's the point. There's a, there's a line I heard, I don't know from where years ago that said, most people are six good questions away from tears. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of pain under there, isn't there? And we deny yeah. it. Part of the way we deny pain is through anxiety. Rather than anxiety is what and anger is what happens oftentimes when people are hurt because they don't know how to feel that sad feeling. And so they try to fight it off and they'll fight it off with fear or anger. Yeah. Or just entertainment. Good stuff. Or, or distraction is another way that they'll fight out because they don't want to feel that. Right. Right. You know, I wanted to, to back up to Psalm 46 again, which is the famous be still and know that I am God. Which reminds me a little bit when Elijah was completely depleted after defeating the prophets of Baal. And he goes in this cave and he's suicidal. And God says, I'm going to speak to you from the mouth of the cave. And he goes to the mouth of the cave and a storm goes by and floods go by and a fire sweeps by. And God is not in the storm, not in the fire, not in the wind, not in the flood. But then a still small voice speaks and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that's the voice of God. And that's how this is, where it says, be still and know that I am God. Listen to what leads up to it. This is all of Psalm 46. Feel free to stop me if you need to. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength and ever present. Talk about the presence of Christ and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, 
We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. It's almost a perspective-giving opportunity. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But God lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The strength that is in there, that is available to us. You know, a lot of people who don't know this, we get frustrated with them. But the fact is they don't have the spiritual resources to be brought to bear because they've never opened themselves up to, to the fact that they have a choice to go down this road or not. That because God is with us, we know we have a choice. Yeah, that's good stuff. And if you know that, that's the attention thing too. Like they all kind of go together, don't they? And you in Colossians, set your mind on things that are above and not that are on the earth. If you were to do that, I don't think you can simultaneously worry. That thrusts you into the present moment. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Worry does nothing. You know, prayer is God's idea. Prayer is God's idea when you're confused. Prayer's God's idea. Um, if you want to fulfill your the reason why God made you, to practice the presence of Christ, to practice mindfulness and looking at things and asking God for the mind of Christ, you are going to fulfill the whole reason why you were made. Yeah. But, and it doesn't mean that you're complacent. There's utility to this too, because if you really want to influence someone who disagrees with you, are you better off coming at them with what we're talking about with like a, a peace and a, and a genuine listening for understanding and non-judgment? Or is it better for you to come at them with a lot of fear and anger and judgment? I mean, it seems so obvious to yeah. me because what's going to happen, it won't even be neutral. What you're going to do is you're going to radicalize them even more. Right. Because they're going to see you, how you remember how you treat them. Remember, this is an emotional thing, not an intellectual. You're not going to win an intellectual argument on politics. We know that the, the, the Greeks knew it when they spoke of rhetoric. You'll make it worse. So if, if you feel like you need to be a hero, you know, and change some minds because you're sure you're right. Don't do it that way. Don't do it with fear, anger and judgment or you're actually doing the other side's work. Isn't it interesting that we think the fear, anger and judgment that we have is somehow a weapon where it's fuel for us to get off our butts and and speak something but we very rarely do something we just go after people yeah anger can inspire us to move but it will impair our judgment that's been shown over and over if you get anger in there the frontal lobe starts to shut down you're easier to manipulate there's a study i posted on the renew hope facebook page that goes goes through this too we know that and that kind of gets me into the next technique that I like to use to get into the mindful state. And that's just a loving kindness orientation towards other human beings. Okay. That means everybody. The more you do it, the more you will get into that. Because what you're doing with, in loving kindness is you're paying attention to that person 
picking out the qualities maybe, or, or at least wishing them well, Matthew 5, 44 crisis. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Boy, that puts you in the present moment, doesn't it? Pray for those who persecute you. But now, how often do you see that? That, that you never um, hear it. No, there's a wish to punish people who disagree mm. oftentimes or see something bad, you know, or somebody punish them. We're not told to do that. We're told to do the quite the opposite. And, and by love, it doesn't mean agree. It means that you accept them and you wish them well. And if they're wrong, you hope that it gets turned around quickly. And your best bet to doing this is what we talked about before. Really what we're talking about right here is, in a way, you could call it perspective. And the threats and all of the things that get us so swept up in this stream or this river of our thoughts and this rush of thoughts that we have all day long that tend to knock us off our game or knock us off our feet that lead us into the flood of anxiety and neg negativity. We are talking about kind of this question, are these real or is God real? There's almost an either or opportunity that we have. Are my perceptions of all of this stuff that I'm seeing and scrolling through and video after video after video, is this real? Is this more real than the presence of God in my life? And I think even for people who may not be in any kind of a discipling relationship, it gives perhaps a foothold for them to realize, you know what, if I'm truly serious about this, then I'm going to realize that God, as much as I understand him even, is more real past, present, and future than anything that's floating across my screen. Right. Yeah. Your eyes are on the things above and, and not below when, when we do that. But the real reason that people don't want to do this, I'll say again, is this. They feel like they're either irresponsible if they take this stance, which I think you're more responsible. If, if responsible means able to respond to something effectively, then you're you're more responsible. And then the other thing is they feel like they've got to problem solve in their mind all of the potential things that are going on. And, and Christ says not to do that. So in Mark 13, 11, he says, and, and to be arrested as a Christian in the Roman empire, that wasn't like a ticket for a misdemeanor. That was like some heavy stuff going to happen to you, yes. maybe even death. Right. So, so he's saying even with this, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate on what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Well, there you go. You can put your hands down. You're not going to get cold cocked by anyone, and you'll know what to do at the time because it goes down to that fear of the world is happening around me, and I'm not going to be safe. So I've got to be the hero here and, and, and take the matter into my own hands, and I've got to convince other people, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that mindfulness is the most proactive thing that you can do. I know that's the first of the seven habits of highly successful people is to be proactive. But to be proactively mindful, it means you're intentional about calm. And it gives you this opportunity to improve your physical health, your mental health. And you are the one who can now choose which thoughts you actually engage versus which ones to let pass you by. You know, I have all kinds of thoughts in any moment. And the more mindful I am about my current reality, not focusing just on me, but sidestepping me and saying, God, I want to see this the way that you see it, gives me the opportunity to engage certain thoughts and to let other ones pass me by. 
it's this incredible freeing opportunity. Do you think that we painted a good picture of this or what it's like and how to do it? I think so. I want to, I want to close on my end with Psalm 139. Listen to this. This is almost an invitation to mindfulness. Maybe this could be our prayer unless you got something else to say. I just want to say this was really good and no one burped. <laughs> so this will be a bonus. A bonus, a burpless podcast. Yes, we got this. Listen to Psalm 139. That's a great intro. Oh Lord, and let this be our prayer today. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is good. Thank you so much. Let's practice some additional mindfulness this week. All right. All on board for that, Matt. It's a deal. Take care. Okay. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.